Russian President Vladimir Putin getting a from former Fox host Tucker Carlson in Moscow, sitting down for a two-hour interview. At one point, Putin suggests that the U.S. should negotiate with Russia over this whole war in Ukraine. Listen to this. Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia, make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end? And realizing this, actually return to common sense, start respecting our country and its interests, and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Joining us now, CNN senior media analyst Sarah Fisher and CNN senior international correspondent Fred Plykin, who is in Ukraine. Fred, I want to start with you, because for two years, Western media outlets, including CNN, have been asking for sit-down interviews with President Putin. Uh, mm. When you watch this, why do you think uh, Putin and his team agreed to it? Well, I think they agreed to it because they thought it would be beneficial for them. In fact, that's something that the Kremlin did say before this interview took place. They say that they feel that there's no benefit for, for them for communicating, as they put it, with, as they call us, traditional Western media. They say that they believe that Western media is biased against Russia. And, you know, some of the reactions that we've been getting uh, this morning from the Kremlin, they seem pretty pleased with what uh, would happen there in, in that interview, what transpired in that interview. They say, and this is the spokesman for the Kremlin, they believe this interview will be studied in the future. They say that other media outlets are jealous of this uh, interview. There's been some uh, reaction from the Ukrainians as well, uh, Phil. They say that this is little more as a, than a justification attempt, uh, as one presidential advisor here put it, of the genocide against Ukrainians, he said. It was quite interesting because I've actually been communicating with a journalist that I know inside Russia, and he referred to Tucker Carlson as Vladimir Putin's microphone stand and essentially said this was little more than a monologue by Vladimir Putin. Certainly, we did have long phases of Vladimir Putin essentially trying to give a lesson in history in the whole thing. I think one of the interesting things that we picked up on was when he said that he hadn't actually spoken to President Biden since uh, before Russia's invasion of Ukraine or the full-on invasion of Ukraine took place and said that he believed that President Biden's support for Ukraine was a catastrophic mistake, as Putin put it, Phil. It was very important, Sarah, uh, for Putin to be asked by anyone that sits down with him about detained Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. Tucker asked him about that and if he would allow him to be released and come home to the United States. Putin said no, and then he said this. We are willing to solve it. But there are certain terms being discussed via special services channels. I believe an agreement can be reached. What is your reporting uh, this morning on Evan as all of us think about him, as his family awaits and waits for him to come home? You can't trust those words, Poppy. I mean, the whole game here for the past year as they've been wrongfully detaining Evan Gershkovich is that they've been opaque. They will say one thing, they will negotiate in another way. There is no progress at this point. And so for Vladimir Putin to come out and sort of, you know, suggest that in this Tucker Carlson interview, to me, just seems like a way to sort of dodge the one hard question in that interview. I'm actually at a journalism conference right now in Charleston, South Carolina, and the person who is managing the release for Evan Gershkovich, Paul Beckett, on behalf of the Wall Street Journal, he made this point very directly yesterday, which is that you cannot trust anything that the Russian government is saying in regards to this release because the opaqueness is part of the strategy. The misleading words is part of the strategy. And for Tucker Carlson, by the way, to be the one Western journalist to get this type of access to Vladimir Putin suggests that Putin knows that this is going to be an interview where he can manipulate the moderator. 
This was a huge fail on behalf of American journalism. It was a platform for Putin, and it's disappointing for everybody that cares about Evan's safety. Well, the Wall Street Journal has released a statement in response to the interview saying, quote, Evan is a journalist and journalism is not a crime. Any portrayal to the contrary is total fiction. We're encouraged to see Russia's desire for a deal that brings Evan home, and we hope this will lead us to his rapid release and return to his family and our newsroom. Joining us now, New Yorker staff writer Susan Glasser and former CIA counterterrorism official Phil Mudd. Phil, I want, I want to start with you because uh, President Putin, in different parts of the interview, seemed to allude to the individual that we've known through sourcing was somebody he wanted, was putting on the table for a potential uh, swap here in Vadim Krasikov. Can you walk through how U.S. officials are trying to figure out how to make that work? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things going on here. There's a parallel between what he said about, about the Wall Street Journal and what he's saying about Ukraine. Yep. In both circumstances, this is a great opportunity for propaganda for Putin. That is, in both circumstances, he's saying, look, it's not just on me. It's not my fault. We were not the aggressor in Ukraine. We're not totally at fault with the Wall Street Journal. This is a spy in terms of the Wall Street Journal, and the Ukrainians are the aggressor. We're willing to make a deal only if you guys are reasonable. So I, I think the propaganda piece here both to the West and to a domestic audience in Russia is Putin's ready to make a deal and he's not the only player at the table. He can't control everything. It's up to the Americans too. I think it's brilliant. Susan, this part um, of the interview that Putin uh, told Tucker Carlson talking about the situation in Ukraine and where it goes and potentially how it ends, listen to this. This endless mobilization in Ukraine, the hysteria, the domestic problems, sooner or later it will result in agreement. You know, this probably sounds strange given the current situation. But the relations between the two peoples will be rebuilt anyway. It will take a lot of time, but they will heal. Uh, that was really striking to me, and I wonder what struck you when you heard it. Well, look, uh, yeah, sure, Vladimir Putin is open to a deal to the extent that Ukraine and uh, the West should capitulate to all of his demands. Uh, the idea that relations are going to heal between Ukraine and Russia when Russia's leader uh, goes on and on in an interview and explains why Ukraine does not have a right to exist, historically speaking. Uh, that tells you a lot about Putin's mindset. But I think, you know, the success that Putin has had is really actually in creating more of a national unity and a national identity for Ukrainians uh, as a result of his denial of their very statehood. And we heard that at great length uh, in that Tucker Carlson uh, interview. He went on and on with a sort of uh, bizarre version of history in which uh, it goes all the way back past the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Mm -hmm. uh, he repeatedly referred to grievances from the year 1654. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he basically asserts the right to Ukraine because Empress Catherine, the Great of Russia, uh, took over part of the territories in modern-day Ukraine in the late 18th century. So, you know, again, 
what does this mean in a practical sense? I did not hear any specific sense that Vladimir Putin is acknowledging reality. What I heard right. is that he would like the West to abandon its support for Ukraine and to accede to all of his terms. Yeah, Phil, that was actually what I was going to ask you. This is you know, around two hours. The history lesson that Susan was just talking about, I think, ran about 38, she 39 minutes. She summarized it well in yeah, that was actually, a minute. Yeah, a lot quicker. Uh, clear, concise. Uh, that's a good writer for you. Uh, I'm interested if there was anything you heard in this that you thought either was, was newsworthy or, or that as in your former life would have, would have given you some indication of something you wanted to pursue. Yeah, there is one piece that struck me, and that is timing. Why would you do this now? I'll probably read too much into it, but I'm a CIA analyst. That's what we do. The short version is you're looking, obviously, at divisions in the American Congress that might widen over time between those who want to support Ukraine and those who don't. There's obviously divisions between parties and presidential candidates going into an intense American election. There are divisions between potentially the Americans and NATO, and there are problems in Ukraine. You saw over the past week the Ukrainians changing out generals. So if you look at timing, you could read into this if you're an analyst, and that's what I do for a living, that Putin sees blood in the water. He sees an opportunity to drive a wedge going into an election, and his driving of that wedge over time is only going to intensify. He sees a chance. Phil Mudd, thank you. Susan Glasser, we appreciate you this morning.